welcome to the next episode of Rebel Chums. My name is Jake and I am delighted to be presenting the episode where we are featuring the best Pixar film, Ratatouille. Um, don't laugh, it's the best Pixar film. If you think I'm wrong, fight me, bitch. Well, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm not going to fight you. Um, but the, be- the best Pixar film is up, just to correct that statement, anyway. Um, well, I guess we'll find out. In the, <laughs> I guess we'll find out in the next episode, won't we? Whether we no, we, no, we got Wally next. We got oh, next. we got Wally next, which yeah. is also a good film. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm delighted to be sat in for the first time in mine and Andy's flat. Yes, um, rather than my house or my flat. We're on location again. Rebel Chums on tour. Rebel Chums on tour, which is great because it means I can also cook and watch the film, which for this film I think is highly. It's very appropriate. Exactly. So introducing today for the first time, we have a special guest and also my best friend, Melissa. Hello. Um, Hi, Mel. Hey, Mel. Now, Mel, um, as is standard in the podcast, we always ask our guests why they chose to present in this film of all films, uh, the Pixar Cameron. Well, let the record show that my hands are on my heart for theatrical effect. Um, I adore Ratatouille. Uh, for one, it has the most adorable Pixar character. Also, fight me, bitch. Is that Remy? Uh, yes, Remy. Yeah, yeah. I should have pointed out Remy. No, no, of course it's Linguini. I mean, <laughs> let's leave that alone. But <laughs> oh, the no, guy I... who kills a man with his thumb. <laughs> He's really creepy on a side note, but no, Chef I... Gusto? Anyway, Chef Gusto. No, I, I mean, he's also adorable. It's full of adorable characters, but um, Remy's adorable. I love the fact that he's got this sort of big dream and, you know, he doesn't let anything stop him and, he's, and he always tries to do the right thing and he's just so cute. Remy. You know what really helps, Mel, about this film? I said this in, um, I think, the last podcast we did before this one. Um, the best thing about Ratatouille, what makes it so good, is it's all about food! I mean, yes. <laughs> oh my god, Cheese food. Is life. I know. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so we, should, we should acknowledge as well, while you're here, Mel, that we are in the presence of one of the world's biggest Disney fans. Like, you outnumber us. Like, you are the expert for the week. I am the yeah. person you want on the Disney yeah. Let's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've also, of course, got our mainstay presenters with us. Rob? Um, so I don't want to do the octopusy gag again from The <laughs> Simpsons. <laughs> Man, Ratatouille! <laughs> I must have seen that movie twice. <laughs> Literally, that is how many times. Yeah, no, I saw this in the cinema when it came out, and I think I maybe caught it on TV at Christmas five, six years ago or something. And even then, when you're watching something at Christmas, you're really half paying attention because there's family stuff going on around you. And it's not like a it's not like a bad thing. It's just we're kind of in a period of Pixar films where like I know that they're great, but this, I just haven't like, seen them that often because it, I was in high school and you don't want to watch Pixar films when you're at high school and you're in the role that I was in at high school. Totally the opposite for us. We totally like, yeah, Pixar we, was so cool. For Friday nights was yeah. pizza and Disney. I was kind of I was kind of caught between like the group I ended up being friends with and that I should have gone and been friends with earlier. And the friends that I tried to be, the people that I tried to be friends with in year cool. seven and eight, where it was like not necessarily the cool people, but just like the largest group in the year. And it means that you have to kind of, you have to kind of manipulate your own interests and you have to kind of mold your own interests to their interests. And then by the middle of the year, eight, I got sat next to a guy uh, called Luke, 
Luke won't be listening, but it, just in case he is. Hi, Luke. <laughs> uh, I got sat next to him in a mask. If you're called Luke and you're listening to this, and that was directed at you. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't really look back from there. So maybe, maybe if I had never tried to fit in with the larger group in year seven and eight, I might have watched Ratatouille about seven times or eight. I do. Who, like, to say? I gotta say, I do understand why you've only seen it a couple of times because Ratatouille, even though it is my favorite Pixar film, it's in like like you said, it's in that era of Pixar films. I didn't start to really rewatch again until I got into like sixteen, seventeen, and college yeah, era. Exactly um, yeah. and, and then I started watching it loads, and was like, oh my god, this film is so good. I mean, I remember, I remember liking it. I just don't remember anything from it. Like I remember a scene where he's pulling on his hair to make him cook the food properly. And move it, and I remember that there's a very cold <laughs> critic that gets reduced to nothing. And telling him, Ingo. him or yeah, whatever. He's, he's yeah. voiced by a very famous guy, but I yes. can't remember. Yes, Tool, I think, please. Please, Tool. Um, and you know, so there's, there's that side of it where, like, I remember little bits, and I remember that there's a f- female chef in this who kind of looks like Mirage, but with purple hair. <laughs> and yeah. so, but the nose is different. And red hair or purple hair. Yeah. Every, everyone's got big noses in this one, though, haven't they? But yes. it's not a jab at Because it's French. <laughs> it's Pixar. And I know that Remy's not the only rat, and... I, did, I mean, to be honest, until you just mentioned that oh. he was called Remy, I'd forgotten his name. <laughs> right, you are in for a treat if you've not seen this film Yeah, so I'm, so I'm hoping that this I come at this completely fresh... Almost. About as fresh as I possibly can. I think. The um, reason I love this film so much is because I think it's got some of the most beautiful music, some of the most beautiful shots, some of the most beautiful heart to it. It's just everything about this film just takes Well, the fact that it's a film about cooking and the fact that it's a film about the love of food and cooking and from what I gather from what you've said, I imagine there will be lots of scenes and sequences in it like the uh, Woody reconstruction sequence in Toy Story yeah, yeah, yeah. There's at least Where three I can think of off the top of my head that are very similar to that. and have Lots that of like all. knocks of wooden spoons on like... Yeah. Teflon grease and stuff like that. I won't spoil too much, but there's like a bit where he's travelling through Paris at the very start. It's got really fantastic music to it. Right. Um, that's very similar to that. Okay. There's a bit where he's making a soup that's got all that to it, where he's throwing in ingredients and oh, it's, it's sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> this film so much. I've also realised this film always makes me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, me and Andy are going to be eating tea during the film. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, well, I've had actually a very, very similar experience with this film as you. I went to see it when it came out in the cinema with um, with my very good friend Mackie, who might be listening. Hi, Mackie. Um, that that was at the source of the time where we really did not care if we were cool at all. We went to see lots and lots of films that were explicitly for kids, and we did not care about being cool at all. So I was very happy to go and see Ratatouille. I remember that I really did like it, but like you, I just kind of forgot about it. It, it just sort of didn't stick in my memory. Certainly not in the same way as Wally and Up and Toy Story 3, which you know all followed right after this. But when me and Jake got together, Jake immediately started talking about Ratatouille. So we sat down and watched it, and I was like, really, Ratatouille? Okay, it's good, but but I find, I find this, more than any other Pixar film, to be a real grower. Every time I watch it, I like it more and more. The Incredibles is like that as well as Jake also has got me into. But Ratatouille, I think, more than any other, every time I watch it, I enjoy it more and more, so I'm expecting to really like it this time. Really, really like it, hopefully. Right. And, and if you don't, we are breaking up. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, I had one more thing to add that I realised I went on a weird amble about, but also this film uh, connects to the trip that me and Jake and Andy and my partner took yes. to Disneyland Paris last Christmas, and... We got there, first thing in the morning, ran to the Ratatouille ride, because yeah. we were told this was the longest queue. Still they, were no, they weren't joking. They were not. Get, if you go, go fast. 
Um, yeah, because we, we weren't some of the first people there. I mean, we were still waiting about an hour to get on the ride, weren't we? We legit sprinted, pushed old grannies over. We did not care. We were getting to that ride. Most, pop- most popular ride in the whole of Disney, apparently. Yeah. For good reason. Like yeah. It was fantastic. But it was I, very good. Yeah. I remember being stood in the queue and we were playing a game. We Give me five. Invent- Give me five, yeah, where we had to name different groups of five of like... Thank you to my mum for creating that game. Anyway. Side characters. <laughs> yeah, you had to name... I can't remember them now. It was like, come up with a category and you named five of that category. So we did yeah. like five Disney animals or something, and you said Raja. Yeah. I bet ten <laughs> So many Rajas. Yeah. That's a running joke in this group. <laughs> uh, Except you, Raja. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of my fondest memories, and oh, I just I loved it. Aww. And the ride was fantastic. It very yeah, was. Ride. So good. Ride. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for this. You've all taught this up so much. And the thing is, I know it's good, because like, I... It's no, in the it's, era, good era of Pixar films. Yeah, and like, you know, I mean, to be honest... We and kind critics of, love this film as well. We went into Cars thinking it'd be like, okay, and then it ended up being shit. So like, you know, you get a general <laughs> feeling about a film before you watch it. And the general feeling I have about Ratatouille is that like, people mention it in like their top three, top five Pixar films. Just as a side note, this did get 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it is one of the most critically acclaimed. Yeah, mm. I, I did know the This and Up. Uh, absolutely adored by the critics. Yeah. And, and Toy, Story uh, Toy Story 3. Well, the Toy Story franchise in general. See, Toy Story 3 is where I tuned back into Pixar properly because like, I didn't see Wally or Up in the cinema. I, didn't, I don't I think. I'm exactly the same. I, so, I saw yeah. Wally Up and Ratatouille in the cinema. Well, Ratatouille well, Wally okay, Up. Well, okay, Jake. Okay. Yeah, sorry you didn't struggle with peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, when they, those came out, I was in year 7, 8, and 9, respectively, so I was still relatively young mm. when it came to watching films. I mean, we also just didn't care. Yeah, exactly. I remember the day that I told you to go be friends with the cool kids, and you're like, no! That was the end of that! That was the end of that biscuit. I didn't have Rob's struggle. <laughs> no, you, you were friends with me instead, and that was not cool. No. Ratatouille always reminds me of, well, when you, especially when you talk about when it was on at Christmas, it just reminds me of a fantastic joke from Peep Show, where uh, it's right in the middle of a tense family argument over Christmas dinner, and Mark tries to just destroy the whole thing by saying... You know, should we put the TV on? I know it's a bit unusual, but apparently Ratatouille's on. It's meant to be great! And Superhands just chips in with the most dead ever. Yeah, it is bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, so Superhands also, unofficially, Superhands' favourite Pixar film. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I don't have any kind of puns to drop into the trailer on this one. Um, you know, we shall can't we go feast on all the delights in this film? Yeah, that's a good one. It's weak. I bet it's ratastic. Yeah. Oh, that was oh, fan ratastic. I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> Before the dessert course, we present for your pleasure the traditional cheese trolley. To start, we have an excellent clochette, creamy, very nice, very light. Next, a brebi, hearty, with a surprising bite, I think you'll find. And finally, the pièce de résistance, a very special, very well. <laughs> <laughs> This is me. I think it's apparent that I need to rethink my life a little bit. I can't help myself. I, I like good food, okay? And good food is, is hard for a rat to find. It wouldn't be so hard to find if you weren't so picky. I don't want to eat garbage, Dad. I, 
What is that? I don't really know. You don't know, hmm. and you're eating it. You know, if you can sort of muscle your way past the gag reflex, all kinds of food possibilities open up. This is what I'm talking about. I don't think any of this would have come up, but we happen to live in Paris, France. And it's so easy to find good food in Paris. It's just dangerous. You gotta rethink your life. He's right, you know. Let it go, Dad! Hi there, welcome back. We've just watched the film. Hi! Well, not quite. Yeah, we haven't uh, spent, what, five days not doing... No. Should, should, should we explain ourselves? Yeah, we've jumped five days into the future. Um, because... Should we talk about some of the many things that happened that night? Oh, goodness. Well, to be honest, it's not meant to it happen. It makes sense. It's the middle of the season, and, you know, if we're treating this like a TV show, this is this would be a good time to do a time jump, to skip over a bunch of I, things. Well, it's also kind of our Wham! episode, because there was a lot of incidents that happened that night. Yeah, okay, so who, who wants to take us through the incidents? So we last left you as we were about to watch Ratatouille on one fateful Sunday evening. And we went to watch Ratatouille and we got halfway through. And he got a mind when he threw up, so I had to go to bed. Yeah, so I was out. Yeah. punctured the back of our freezer and released deadly Freon gask into the apartment. That's genuinely true. I was falling asleep because I'd just worked 20 hours at a Harry Potter convention. I I mean, I was completely fine. (laughs) Oh, well then, okay, well. But, you know, but it does mean... Oh. Mean, though. oh, and also the coat hanger came off the wall. That, my yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so a lot of shit happened, and we thought, Let, well, let's come, let's come back to this in the time. Um, and we've also multiplied. I've had a baby in the five days since. Who, who <laughs> well we are done. Called, who we called Ross. Yeah, I've has... grown to the age of thirty-two. Somehow you have grown yeah. to become um, eleven years older, not nine years older than me, <laughs> despite only existing. For five days. Old. They five really do grow up so fast. So I know, fast. right? <laughs> um, hello, Ross. Hi there, guys. Thank you so much for having me along to uh, to talk about this film. You're more than welcome. Now, we did. We usually we ask this at the start when we do our introduction, but because you weren't here for the introduction, we might as well ask. Um, other than convenience of you coming here to drive Mel. Because <laughs> um, I'm terrified of the motorway. We also know that um, Ratatouille happens to be our favourite Pixar film. No, not quite. It, oh. it's, it's up there, though. It's definitely one of my favourites. I, I don't think I have picked a favourite Pixar film, really. Well, you may pick one if you Can I just interject? You definitely told me this was your favourite. I've, I've definitely said it's one <laughs> of my favourites. You may have favorites. changed his mind since I, he said. Fair. I may have also changed my mind. You definitely did. Yeah. Um, obviously, was... his favourite is Cars 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he'll be there for the Cars episode. How dare you! <laughs> <laughs> um... No, uh, it, it's definitely up there. It's one of my favourites, for sure. I don't think I have a favourite Pixar film because there's such a strong stable of good films. Like choosing between children. Exactly. Yeah, but everybody does that secretly. But everybody has Well, that. I can choose between <laughs> children because I only have one child. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Ross. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, any opportunity to talk about... Uh, certainly one of my favourite films, one of my favourite Pixar films, uh, is, uh, is a nice opportunity. Plus, I get to shamelessly plug my own podcast, which is great. Yes, tell us about Would that. you like to do that? Thank you. Uh, it's funny how you picked up on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I also host a uh, podcast called Two Geeks, Two Movies, where myself and a friend of mine called Harry, we uh, pair up two movies of, uh, which are in some way similar... And we try and compare them and see what interesting things we can come up with. Uh, so recently we've done, uh, we did Christian Bale's Batman Begins and Batman 89, which was uh, an interesting comparison. 
And our most recent episode you can find would be uh, three different Treasure Islands, where we had a guest on, so we did three geeks, three movies, and we did Muppet Treasure Island, uh, the original Disney Treasure Island, and Treasure Planet, and we compared those up. So uh, If yeah, anyone if chooses anything other than Muppets Treasure yeah. Island... I'm sorry, I like Treasure, Treasure Planet. Planet best. Me and Mel like Treasure Planet best, but the two other people on the podcast with me, uh, they both picked Muppets. Um, and to be fair, Tim Curry is eminently watchable. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested in hearing our opinions on that, check out Two Geeks, Two Movies. We're on uh, Instagram and Facebook and all over the place. And Stitcher is our main place, I suppose. So yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for the uh, chance to plug, guys. I hope you guys will check out uh, Two Geeks, Two Movies. Yes. Our usual format would be to go around and each pick a favourite character. And because I don't want anyone to steal my favourite character, I'm going to go first. And if anyone Oh, has you a cheat. Anyone has a problem with that. And tough shit. Also, I'm the host of well, this show. Well, usually so. it's, we, we would go to Mel first. So I think if... You know, if anyone, if there's going to be a moment where we have to speak now and forever hold our peace, I think we need to give Mel a chance to speak. Okay, we'll give Mel a chance. Okay. Well. Fine. You did the right thing there, Jake. I'm very worried I'm now going to steal Jake's favourite. Are you worried that everyone's going to steal the obvious best we'll character in the film? consult each other and, and then talk about them together. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say my favourite is slightly cliche, but it's probably Linguini. I... Did not expect you to say that. No, I no, thought I everybody was going to be. Remy. I thought everyone was going to be. I mean, everyone loves Remy. Remy. Let's be honest, but I really like Linguini. I think he's a sort of sweet guy who's got this nice little plot going on that kind of gets overshadowed by Remy's moral dilemmas. I feel like anyway. Well, I mean, Remy is the main character. He's the main character, but I like that Linguini isn't just a side piece. My favorite thing about Linguini is that he's named after pasta. That is mm. honestly quite a big reason why. But um, I Alfredo Linguini, isn't it? Yeah, it's Alfredo. Alfredo Alfresco. No, not oh, no, Alfresco. Alfredo. <laughs> Alfredo. <laughs> it was Alfresco. Wait, that's eating outside. Yeah. What am I thinking? Would have been good if it was al, would have been good if it was al dente, al dente linguini. <laughs> well, Alfredo is a type of sauce, I think. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. Alfredo is a sauce, I think. Why not write in and tell us? Yeah. Well, the first <laughs> thing he Send makes a is box. a sauce like <laughs> soup. That would make sense. Yeah. But no, I like that he goes through this transition of being like this really klutzy, humble character, and he, you know, befriends the cast, and basically uh, Remy's his only friend for some period of time, and he has this sort of growth where he gets really big-headed, even though he's not the talented chef, and then realises, oh no, I've been a terrible friend, and it's He's one of those characters who's just up. very, very nice. Yes. Isn't he? He's just harmless. He's just, he's just. Yeah. He just gets thrown into a likeable. wild situation. He's so I wholesome. a talking rat. Yeah. It's really nice that he doesn't assume that he's insane because he thinks a rat can talk to him. I like how he gets the rat, rat to clarify that he's not insane when they're sat on the bridge. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, and he says, "I can't cook," and he shakes his head and he goes, "But you can." And he's all like, "I'm talking to a rat." Yeah, yeah. The facial animations and expressions oh, in that God. scene are. Very, very wonderful. Good. The animation of this film in general is amazing. I, I feel like they did a very good thing there to slightly dodge a criticism one could level at Disney of how come they think it's normal to talk to animals. They kind of dodge that criticism of he doesn't think it's normal that there's a talking rat. They play a little joke on it and then move on. Yeah, yeah. No, this is actually one of the... It establishes it, it, a rule and then moves on from it, which is fine. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is one of the only films of this kind I've seen with talking animals where they actually do address the fact that there are talking animals. Yeah. Well, there's a talking uh, animal. They don't yeah, address well, any animal. Well, you can't talk. actually talk. They just kind of understand yeah. each other. Yeah, because yeah. I, I only caught this on this, like, this particular viewing. I hadn't noticed it before. 
when he's talking to his brother really early on, you cut quickly to the old lady's yeah, and perspective. And it's just eyes. squeaking, but yeah. it cuts straight back to his perspective and it goes back to words. And it's so brief, but it does mm. build that idea that they aren't talking English. Mm. Kind of like Tarzan. No, they're talking French. Sure. Uh, well, <laughs> fair enough, but it's English for us. So what happens when the characters are speaking French in the film, but the same simple French words that we understand as French. Like, the characters often say we to each other because it means yes for French. I think that's... So what's happening there? Are they actually, like... They're talking English. I'm so confused. They're talking English. I wonder what the French viewing is like. I think this is a door best left firmly closed. Like many many Pixar films, especially Cars, there are a lot of weird questions that need answering, and I don't think that's one of them here. Um... Well, I think Linguini is a fine choice of a, um, car- a main character. He's certainly he's one very... I wouldn't have expected. But he's very much the, um, like, normal guy yeah. of the film, isn't he? And he's, the, he's the foil. I like his arc. He's the foil. Yeah. And like I said, I also didn't want to steal your thunder because I knew it was Remy. I think he's something of a cipher in that kitchen as well. Other than Remy himself, but, like, to be welcomed in, there's a really, really, really good scene at the beginning, and it actually doesn't involve uh, Linguini. It involves Remy when he's looking through the, um, the glass... Ceiling. Oh, I love that. Because it's a really good way of. I mean, exposition is necessary. How many times have we talked about this on uh, the Star Wars episodes and some Pixar episodes? Like, exposition is necessary and it's unavoidable. So, how do you do it? And you do it in the way that this film does it, which is just it goes. It follows them around the kitchen as they move, and like you. In one sequence, you get to learn each of the characters in the kitchen. It's a lovely sequence. And you also get a little map of the kitchen. And once you're past that stage and once you know who everybody is, the only way that you can interact with these characters is for them to bounce off Linguini. Because obviously Remy can't speak to yeah, them. If they course. find out that he's there, then <laughs> all hell breaks loose. And their relationship to each other is already well established, so you don't get anything there. Yeah, they don't so explain anything to each other. Linguini's but... like a wall that basically yeah. they can throw stuff at and you can take it all in and... Yeah, that but is, you learn how the chef he, is basically an arsehole. You learn that I forget what I forget her name. The woman Colette. 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 Colette that's it. Um, how she's kind of like feisty, but has her own morals, and she's the only one who kind of believes in kind of natural Ooh, talent man. and gusto's gusto's old recipes and anyone can processes and anyone can cook. Yeah. And you get the kind of hardened guy who killed someone with this thumb, and that you get. And that's the only way that you can understand each of them because they never really talk to each other. Mm, the only yeah. times you ever really see them talking are when they're talking to Linguini. Yeah, and that's a hard point. So, I mean, he's not my favourite character in it, but I think he's very... Even just as a narrative device at the beginning, as a character device, I think he's really, really important at the beginning stages of the film because you have Remy, but Remy <coughs> can't get to know the characters that are in the kitchen. Yeah, or the beyond. Well, I think, I think, go on, Jake. It's very interesting that Linguini and Remy are both basically two halves of a character in Mm. that, um, from a storytelling sense, because um, you you need Linguini to exist to be able to, again, interact with human characters, because Remy, on a practical scale, he can't do that. But also from a thematic sense in that, you know, one of them can cook, one of them can. Um, They both um, have that sort of, um, that the, they both fulfil different versions of the moral of the film of like sort of um, artists finding themselves in very different ways um, and it's just nice that they're um, yeah, in many different ways they're both two different halves of a character and I like worth mentioning that Brad Bird directed this and I think similar things come through that we kind of talked about with The Incredibles yeah. where it's mm. like 
talented people being held up by people who aren't talented or yeah. people who think they have their own ideals and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, it gets a little bit muddled this time. I think the Incredibles is a lot clearer with it. But what I was going to say is, it, yeah. it, it's interesting though. That I was just about to come in with the point that every single time I watch this film, I always have the same sense of. Not bewilderment exactly, but struggling to settle in the first half of the film because I don't really know which one of them is supposed to be the protagonist in the first half of the film. Because it starts very much as Remy's story, but then it moves into for about his, the yeah. middle third of the film, Remy takes very much a backseat and it's all about Linguini. Yeah, and his parents. And you kind of crack that nut without me having to now. That is actually a good... I haven't thought about it that way, that the story reaches a point where we need to get interaction and we need to have exposition done. Yeah, we Linguini, like you it. say, yeah. Linguini is that half of the character, and the sort of soul of the film is with Remy, and that's a very, very clever way of doing it, and that's resolved that issue for me now. I might add on a point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> both halves are the same character. Like yeah. when Linguini takes control of the film, so to speak, from his perspective, it's still essentially, you know, all about Remy anyway, because they're both so yeah. reliant on each other as characters. They complete each other. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't feel such a jarring as a jump because both of them are so meshed together as characters anyway. I'm I'm always intrigued as well by if you could, not that you necessarily should because this film's already great as is, but if you could cut a film differently and completely change it, edit it differently, like, for instance, if you never left Linguini's perspective, like, you cut all the early bit with Remy and don't leave Linguini's perspective, Remy... Might just be a regular rat, not yeah, a magic talking one. Well, you wouldn't hear any. You wouldn't hear him talk. At exactly. You don't hear him squeaking. It would be nodding one. It would be more along the lines of his inner capable chef coming out, and he doesn't really know why. And that could be an interesting plot in itself. Mm-hmm. Like a yeah. rat placebo. Yeah, exactly. He's got a rat placebo <laughs> yeah, going. I can on. see that. D- uh, Dumbo's feather that lets him fly. Remy's not helping at all. Because Remy's just a rat. You could have edited the whole film and had it mm. in Linguini's perspective. Obviously, they didn't. I think that this was is a kind of yeah, definite decision that that's about. Yeah. Remy yeah. can yeah. cut, well, Linguini can't. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one way of looking at the film is um, because the spirit of the film is that a good chef can come from, from any, anyone. Oh, yeah, so yeah, this yeah. guy who's never been able to cook before in his life and never expected to cook, you know, suddenly being able to cook, in this case with the aid of a rat, but if you look at it from your perspective as a chef coming out of nowhere, yeah, then it still makes sense. It could still well. get that it message over. Just, it would obviously be yeah. a di- completely different film. I think that's film. Why yeah. the message of the film kind of gets a bit muddled for me, because obviously we talked about this with The Incredibles, where like The Incredibles is, as much as it's a film about a family of superheroes, it's ultimately a film about um, who's naturally talented and who stands in their way. And this is a little bit muddled because I think you're supposed to sympathise with the whole anyone can cook thing. But by establishing that Remy controls Linguini when he's doing most of his cooking, then no, not anyone can cook. Because Linguini can't. Oh, no, no, no. They, yeah. they explain and, that at the end of the film when he goes speaks, right. though. He says that um, anyone can cook in the sense that not everyone can cook, but a good cook can come from anyone. Yeah, so yeah. it's like anyone can be t- not not everyone is talented, mm. but you know talent. Yeah, can come I don't in think it's as clear cut. Like I don't think I could say I, like I just did the Incredibles, where I made the where I made the point that yes, okay, on the surface it's a film about family superheroes, but really it's about uh, naturally talented people and the people who stand in their way. I don't think I could do the same for Ratatouille, where I could go, it's a film about a rat who becomes a cook through uh, like a person like this linguine who's not very good, and then there's no like, but really it's about. 
especially tied to it just it just gets a little cross wires for me like I can't I quite I, find I, I, the I, ends of the... I don't think so I, I mean no. I think it's pretty clear like Remy is supposed to be like a complete outsider in the most unimaginable way possible like if the, if this wasn't a film about a rat this would be a film about some like little kid who's never had any opportunity to be able to pursue his talent whatsoever because maybe he's poor or maybe he's not got the right connections or anything mm-hmm. like that well, this film is supposed to be an allegory about how you don't need any of those things. If you've got talent, then you're supposed to just follow your passion and follow your dreams and let it shine for Okay, I get that. Yeah, that's, yeah, Remy as a rat is yeah. a vessel, of, is someone who's supposed to be so distant from being a chef because he's so unlike a chef whatsoever that it's amazing that he can cook, but because he's got the talent and he pursues mm-hmm. that dream anyway, he can achieve it. I mean, I don't always mm-hmm. agree with what Brad Bird tries to say, but the way that he, ways that he thinks about... In these, the way these stories work as metaphors and allegories for what he's trying to say, I really like just the ideas that he comes up with. Like, how the hell does he come up with a family of superheroes <laughs> for what he wanted to say with the Incredibles? How the hell does he get it down to like anyone can be a chef? What's the very opposite of a chef? And you go, well, surely it's a rat or a pest or something. Yeah, and, like it's I, I do, it does kind of blow my mind that he would come up with. But then again, that's why he's a multi-millionaire. Director. It's all like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not. If, if, <laughs> if you look at it in that message, it's sort of like, um, um, like Billy Elliot, but about cooking instead of ballet. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, okay. that's actually a good comparison because the thing is, it's different about cooking than it is having superpowers. Is that cooking is a skill that you learn? Yeah. And I think the one of the interesting things is that everybody, including Linguini, decides very very quickly that he's never going to be able to cook. He doesn't even really try. But the point is that he doesn't need to because he's got a friend who can cook and Linguini is good at other things. He's he's better... Well, I'm not really sure what he's better at. He's better at, at appearing human. He's, he's, better, he's better at he communicating was, and leadership. He's better at that stuff. He was a great waiter. Yeah, he was Amazing a great waiter. Roller skates. He's, he's, he's good at other things. Yeah. So I think the idea is that, well, no, this is not something you're naturally talented at. But you know someone who is, so you don't need to be. Like, you do you. Like you, you do what you're good at, and other people be good at what they're good yeah. at, which I think is a very positive message. Yeah, the fact that Linguini's story about not being forced into being a chef is just as compelling as Remy's wanting to be a chef kind of thing. Linguini doesn't really yeah. want to be a chef. He's ha- He was happy as a garbage guy. Mm. For, uh, yeah, again, he, just, he was he just happy wanted to have a job. Boy. He was happy having a job, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like, well, perhaps Linguini could cook, but he's not, never going to be as good as Remy. So... You know. Yeah, the one little thing that frustrates me about the moral of this story is that it does, like, I know you've just compared it slightly different to The Incredibles, but Brad Bird does, like, sort of treat cooking as some sort of superpower. Like, yeah. you're either really yeah. good at cooking or you can't cook at all. Well, I think there's a level, it's like, anyone can learn to cook. That is, you know, that's just a fact. Anyone can learn to cook, but not everyone can become, and it, you know, you know, when you have, like, an instinct for flavours and stuff like that, not everyone can learn that. There is, there is like a special gift for like superb cooking, mm. I think. But anyone, anyone can cook in terms of like anyone can mm. put a hob on and make a meal for themselves. Yeah, but, but not, not everyone can come up with these big artisan no, dishes. Brad, like I disagree though. I feel like Brad Bird's message in here is that um, there is a na- there's some people some people can learn to cook, but some people have like a natural chef born in them that like just flourishes when they when they give it the chance to. Mm. And I don't necessarily agree that's the thing. Because everything think... that Remy does is based entirely on smell, which is something that you can't learn. Because he has this amazing sense of smell that means... He, I mean, he initially, he's wasted just looking for rat poison. 
Well, rats are naturally good at smelling anyway. And yeah, but I think that's part of it where like most of what he does is very, very, it, it's not improvised, but like most of it is, mm, yeah, this would go really well with this based on just one smell. And I think yeah. there's something that you can't teach that essentially. You mm. can't teach the, yeah. the good smell. Uh, the, good there's quite smell. a lot of uh, Jamaicans who are ridiculously good sprinters, which obviously makes them perfect bobsledders as well. <laughs> it's the same kind of animal, isn't it? There's, there's an inherent skill somewhere in a person but how you channel that is up to you. Remy's yeah. got a good sense of smell and he's interested in food, so he channels it into chefing. Yeah, yeah. it just frustrates me that... Um, yeah, because I agree that there are there are skills where if you've got a... You can have a natural vulnerability to do something, like sprinting. You might be naturally more prone to sprinting, for example, yeah. which would make you a better sprinter if you trained. But I don't think cooking is one of them. I think anyone can learn to be an amazing cook. I don't think it's a case of people have... like. Smell, for example, some of the best chefs in the world don't have any have an average sense of smell. I don't think smell actually has anything to do with how yeah, well you're cooking. It kind of reminds me of something. Um, I forget who we went on the show with, but um, it was sort of like in a post Top Gear universe where James May went on a tour with somebody um, around Italy doing wine tasting, and this guy who had been wine tasting for years um, was frustrated by the fact that James May had a palate that could pick flavors up like that. Mm. he didn't even have to sit and work it out as soon as it touched his tongue he was like oh, yeah, I'm getting a hint of like this in and then the guy who made the wine was like oh my god you noticed it was like the smallest thing I put in and and this guy who was with James May I forget his name but he was getting like so like <laughs> oh for god's sake and it, I mean he was obviously <laughs> playing for comedy but like um, yeah I forget his name but it's that kind of there were some people who would just they, they come to something and they go oh turns out I'm really fucking naturally gifted at this mm. and Oh well, shucks. Well, you know me. I think it's one of those instances where we do have to remember that it's you know it's broad strokes. It's a kids' movie. It has to be simplified. The yeah. easiest way to read it is that Remy is naturally gifted and Linguini is not. It doesn't mean that Linguini couldn't learn if he wanted to, but he's yeah, not naturally gifted. And Remy is. Do you want to talk a bit more about Remy? We we went a bit off the point there. Well, you've all assumed that my favorite character is Remy. When I don't know why, because you of all people should know that my favorite character would easily be Colette. Oh. Okay, like, that's fair. Sorry, before we go any further, it was Oz Clark with James May. Oh, okay. And it was a wine tour of France, not Italy. But yeah, it was Oz Clark. Okay, okay. Cool. So, Colette, go and tell us about Colette then. That whole, the sequence where she's explaining to Linguini, like, how she managed to become a chef. Where she's doing that whole, do you see any other women in this kitchen? He's like, mm. why not? I like why do you think that, so? Yeah, yeah. Because she's obviously the toughest chef in there. And I just love her character so much. Um, and she's got a lot of hat in the film as well. She portrays herself as this really tough chef. But she's also by far the chef in there that's got the most passion for what she does. And also, maybe only because we see the most of her compared to all the other cops. So we don't really know much I think the she's the only one who went straight to chefing. Because we get the introduction via of all the others. Else, yeah. And they've all had a past yeah, life in something, <clears throat> in something a bit off the beaten track. And she's been interested in, chef, in being a chef forever. I'm wondering, so. I'm wondering what you think about the romance angle. Because for me... Yeah, I was going to say, it's a shame they well, undermine most of what I they go th I think for me, this is actually an example where just about works. Just, maybe. I don't think it's... I mean, it's a little bit tacked on. It could do without it, but I think it's okay. What do you think about it, Jake? It's a little strange that this guy is basically going insane in front of her when they're about to have the kiss. And she's going to pepper spray him. And yeah, like, she goes she's got good reasons to pepper spray yeah. because he's basically... From it, her perspective, for sure. Yeah, from she her perspective, he's on. basically clinically insane. 
And then this clinically insane guy kisses her and she's just all up for it. And you have to just assume it's a really good kiss. <laughs> yeah. Most of the things Linguini's good at. Roller skates, kissing. Clearly. <laughs> waiting table. Also, can I also suggest a re-edit? Appearing human. A re-edit. Can I suggest a re-edit from Colette's point of view where this new guy comes in, she starts teaching him how to cook and then he goes insane and snogs her and she and never finds out what's going on. Then right at the end, oh, it's a rat. Right. Yeah, she did solve the rap for clarity. That'd be a better edit than the Linguini edit. I don't know if I don't know if the romance was the the problem I have with the romance in this is I don't even think it was necessary. No, no, like, it's so. just I think I if think they just remain yeah. friends, like it's it's fine. With well, me. I mean, like they have that kiss and they don't, and they have a sequence where um, Remy gets a little bit abandoned because of the romance mm. happens. But other than that. Not they could just become happens friends. in their romance. Uh, I think it's boys and girls one... can't be friends in kids' movies. So that's I think just there, the were, thing. there were two bits of this film where it really well, not no the the, the Colette Remy uh, no no well, that would be a weird romance. Um, Colette Remy Colette and Linguini romance is <laughs> one is the one bit where I think it really stumbles and I was sat there like what and the the, the only other bit just to get it out of the way early is just the chase scene through Paris I was I felt it dragging a little bit when he's chasing after the document I agree yeah. with that proves his yeah, but, I that's, like that. but that's that's basically it but yeah <laughs> it's a shame because Colette yeah. is I wouldn't say I'm like a ginormous fan to the point where she's like one of my favourite Pixar characters or anything like that but she's just solid and like they make the point really early on and like you would expect a character like Colette mm. to be in a film now because we live in a world now where I think films can Films can't exist in the world with... I mean, I'm not saying that the Beckerdale test didn't exist at the time, but, like, everybody knows what the Beckerdale test is now. And if you go to watch a film, you kind of go to watch it with that in mind. mind Whereas 10, 11 years ago, whenever Ratatouille was out, it's just a different world. You know, I think it's before social media and before quite a lot of um, social justice discussion was taking place on social media, where if something was wrong in a film you couldn't immediately go on Twitter and start a campaign about it. Like, if Ratatouille came out now, I think there would be a campaign complaining that Colette is, yeah, built up as a great character, the only woman in the kitchen, but then is kind of undermined by what happens with her and Linguini with the kiss where she goes to pepper spray him and it's kind of played off as a bit of a, lol, pepper spray, whatever, and then they kiss... And it's like, oh, well, the pepper spray doesn't matter. And I, think that would be a problem. I think that would be a problem now yeah. because you could start a campaign about it. Whereas 10 or 11 years ago, you could watch this film, feel a little bit like, representation is not great, but where would you have to go? I would say that, that this is actually quite a good example of a film where the Bechdel test doesn't really work. Because mm. it would get a z- this film would get, like this the, film would get yeah. a zero on the Bechdel test because she's the only female character. But it's portraying the, it's portraying an environment where men dominate anyway, so it sort of has an excuse. And yeah, it makes yeah. a point. She gets a lot yeah. of focus, and it makes a point of how she is providing something genuinely useful to this story and something genuinely useful well, to this kitchen. Like, but I think she's a very yeah. strong character. It's feminist in its own way. It is undermined by the kiss, uh, but. Yeah, I just think it goes to show that the Bechdel test is not Well, the thing with the Bechdel everything. test is that you can't yeah. go into every film with the Bechdel test because there are some films where, let's say there's a film uh, where there are some four or five characters. male characters, yeah. all male, but the film is deliberately done that way to break down um, elements and like show up on screen and not laugh at, but kind of expose the consequences of toxic masculinity on men. 
rather and you know there are some do you have ways... a particular film in mind I, I do no, I nothing do. particular I do, I do. Like, you know, Return, you know. Return of the King has a whole subplot about it with Eowyn not being allowed to fight yeah. as one of the great feminist moments in movie history I am no man I am no man fails the battle test that's why she could fails, defeat him fails the battle yes. test that he film, said no, man could, no man could defeat him yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see your point here, but and, and I've got to admit, I I do agree with Rob a little bit that it's frustrating that that's on the mind. And what also frustrates me is that Brad Bird is very like clearly aware of some of the problems of women in an industry dominated by men. Yeah, unless he points to a great example. Of yeah, that. yeah, um, and he's, he makes a point of this with um, in Ratatouille as well, where he he addresses through the character's dialogue that the chef's world is dominated by men. And she's the only woman in there, and she's a really strong she's woman. Tough to, yeah. But then he undermines the character by writing in that whole kissing anyway, showing that he doesn't really understand the role women have to play it's in all any he industry. Does, but he knows he needs <coughs> to slide a romance plot in somewhere, and he's only got one woman, and you can't have well, any gay people in it because it's t- eleven years ago still. But yeah, it's yeah, it's essentially. Yeah. Point. But even if you even yeah. if you look at the environment, the environment of the chef's kitchen and stuff, you can understand why there's only one woman in there. Yeah. But why are there no female rats? Why like, are there no female Remy's, critics? Remy, well, there is. There's there's one female oh, critic right. at the there start that drinks a soup. That yeah. thing. And the old woman at the start is also a woman. So there's like three women in this film. Oh, right, okay. I think yeah. there's some but female rats, rats right at the end, but I'm basing this completely on aesthetic. None of them are characters. Yeah. No, not right. characters, but there yeah. are some female rats. When you have that have scene dialogue. on the, what's it mm. called, the balcony type thing, I'm 99% sure one of the little girl rats. Mm. Yeah. Because she's speaking. There's like, like, but again, not a character. There's this whole issue of like, yeah, you've only got one woman in the kitchen, but why isn't like, for example, Remy's friend who, um, who's also who's a rat who walks him around and is apparently the only one who can understand Remy. Why isn't she a girl? Why can't they be friends? Why can't oh, he yeah, be a sister rather than a sister? Well, you're absolutely right. I'm not making any sense. Like, yeah. it's just it's a little weird that he makes a point of making this feminist statement. And then in opportunities in the film where they could totally have women in there or at least female characters, obviously not women if they're rats, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, huh. And he just fails to have them. And mm. the, 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 yeah, there are three, I think, female characters in the film. You can go and... And they never and, talk to each other. No. no. I mean, I mean, I yeah. mean, Jake is a very, for those who don't know, Jake is a very devoted student of feminism. We do have a woman in the room, though, Mel. Hello. We should ask, what do you think about this? Uh, I love Colette as a character. I... I think I said when we were she watching it. You, my, you were a chef. <laughs> if I was a chef, which I'm not, I can't cook. That's Ross's job. My job. <laughs> no, but um, I love her. I think she's feisty. Mm-hmm. I think, but without being, I can't think of the correct word. But she's feisty without being off-putting. She's got that kind of right level of spice. Yeah. yeah. But like good soup. The thing is, you can like a good soup. <laughs> but yeah, she's got a good level of feisty to her. But she's still like I. One of the scenes that came to mind when you were talking about it was after um, Linguini goes and speaks with the chef and she's really hurt because she feels like she's been betrayed uh, and she just has this range of motion from really fierce to really determined and there's just a look of hurt on her face and then she snaps right back to being angry. Um, and yeah. And she's, she's so dynamic. She's so dynamic. Do you, dynamic. Do you, do you think she gets undermined by the romance? Part? I don't think the romance was necessary in the slightest. I think I was actually, I've got written on my notes. Um, there's the scene, which I didn't want to bring up because we're having a very serious We have someone else who takes notes. Oh I my do. God. On my, it's on my phone though, so I'm not that. I'm not <laughs> <really> <laughs> that. Yeah. But. God, the minority here. <laughs> but um, there's a moment where just before the macing scene happens and he, I can't remember what he's saying, but he's saying something like, I have a, a tiny, a little, and <laughs> yeah. she looks down and looks back up at him. And, oh, that is that. not for kids. 
I miss that. that. We'll watch it later. Yeah. But when he's having his breakdown, like, I have a little. And he's trying to say, I have a little chef, basically. Oh, yeah. and, she, and obviously she, she's, she, she knows that they're romantically interested in each other, but obviously he's not making a move because maybe he has a micro penis. Maybe he's, you know, <laughs> he's maybe he has manliness. So well, that, I had to say it. So that's the point. Maybe he's <laughs> highlighting she thinks he has masculinity issues because yeah. he's not a very masculine man. No. no. Linguini is not masculine in the slightest. She's more masculine. Typically masculine. Is, really. Yeah, she is. Well, and again, to be in that environment, that's why she is that yeah. way. But I liked, I think that offset the what sour taste the romance left in my mouth. And because they didn't touch it after that, really, there was the little mm. homage of roller skating. I think there's one bit towards the end where he's telling the press what his inspiration is, and Remy gets all upset because he says it's Colette. They're yeah, the only parts where the romance even it, comes up. It's yeah. So I let it glance over, but I can see the point that it wasn't necessary. Yeah. He had a lot of opportunities to highlight the problem with feminism. And also after the romance, it's not like she's just totally fallen in love with him. No, she's there. still her own person. She's still her own person and she still like has issues with him and stuff throughout the film. It's not like they just gloss over any emotion that mm. she, she would have had. Not to be honest, I agree with what Ross said before where it was like, they needed to put a romance in the film. They were a male, male and female character who'd spent a lot of time on screen together, so they just did it. Well, because she's the only female that spends any. Yeah, yeah. Of time but time. I, I couldn't have been the critic. I don't have a problem. Or the with, old woman at the start. But <laughs> I don't have a problem. Come with back to put, her later. We have a good one for that. But I don't have a problem with putting a romance plot in it. No, but it was so weak, and it seemed to me that they needed Remy and Linguini to be on the outs partway through Act Two because it's the middle of Act Two. We need a down moment. How do we get a down moment? We need them on the outs. Okay. How can they be mad at each other? Put a woman in there. Make one of them date someone. And then you've got a way. I do. It's, I, 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 I didn't like that. Oh, exactly. it's, it's just, as well, it's just a very misplaced romance. Because it feels like, if anything, if you're going to give any character a, romance, a, a romantic partner, it should be Remy. Because yeah. he's got the passion for cooking anyway. It would be so interesting that if... That passion came into conflict because he had to compromise yeah, because he had a romance going on at yeah, the same time. That's more romantic than cooking someone a meal. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought the, the the romance subplot, it was the kiss, then suddenly later on he stumbles over his words and says, oh, I uh, I love you, I suppose, or something along those lines. She, it just didn't work. They, they could have found another reason for Remy to be on the outs with Linguini, or they could have just not done that. They could have been a different... Um, there could have been a different problem in Act 2, or even no problem at all in Act 2. Because for me, the relationship between those two was mentor-student, and I was enjoying watching that. Yeah. And then suddenly it became romantic. Like, hang on, there are other relationships apart from romantic ones that we could have. I think well, they messed the dynamic up a little yeah. bit, because, to be honest, Remy to Linguini is also a mentor-student as well, and... yeah. Linguini should have been the character in the middle. And we have brother and to brother as well, which yeah. is a really good and one. what ended up happening was they just Father kind of... Son, really, yeah. really dynamic. Um, right. I feel like we're getting a bit stuck on this, though, because... I That's true. Yeah, we've only done two favourite characters. Andy, yeah. I was going to do, was Andy, gonna do Andy, a segue. Andy, you can have final yeah. say. Wrap us well, up. I'm, I'm not with them for a sec. I'm going to do a segue. It's a good one. Ready for it. I very much was interested in what you said there, Mel, about how it's not just about romance, it's about masculinity and femininity and sort of strength of character and strength of will. And I think that is definitely an intentional quality of the film, partly because one of the big figures in the film, one of the big sources of conflict, is named Ego. So obviously there's this whole thing about, like, you know, force of will and all that stuff is in the film. And my segue is 
I'm quite, I'd quite like to talk about Ego. As Is a he your favourite character? No, he's not my favourite character. My favourite character would be Remy, by the way, but let's move on. Okay. But <laughs> well, you're picking I feel like, to be honest, when we talk about the film... Remy will just kind of flow through anyway. Yeah, I mean, Remy is the stitch that holds everything together anyway. Yeah, no, so. I quite liked Ego. Yeah. The jumping off point I want to say is that to me, he represents um, the idea of someone who has gone... And it's a bit like um, some other Pixar villains in that they sort of represent the extreme of what the heroes are going towards, which is that his love of cooking and his love of food has taken him down such an arrogant route... That he's, fallen he's, out become, of he's fallen out. He's fallen out of love with food, or at least he's forgotten what he loved about food in the first. Yeah, place. Oh, he's forgotten what he loved about it in the first place. And I feel like there are elements of what both Remy and Linguini are heading towards in that, yeah, because, because they're getting wrapped up too much in, in little things. You see that in Up. You see it in Cars. Yeah. The to be- Cars' credit, the best villains are a dark reflection of the yes. hero. Yes, 100%. always. And, and I think Ego is. is, is I, I mean, I wouldn't really even say he's the villain. I think he goes a bit more. Is it Skinner, Skinner, the chef? I think he's more of the villain, really. Yeah. But as a plot device that provides conflict, I think he, Ego he, yeah, is he, very good. He's, he's a, a very looming good threat. threat. He's a looming threat. Yeah. But I, I think, think he's very good as well. It's a testament to how interesting the characters are in the film that like you can find multiple villains and multiple yeah. um, protagonists for yeah. the whole thing. Ego is less of a villain and more. I, I would say he's like you say he's a good he's a good driving point of of, uh, of the plot, but he's more like a. He's more like a, an environmental feature than a villain. Like mm-hmm. he's like the storm that the ship has to deal yeah. with. Like he's he's not antagonistic to them really or anything. He is just a critic. Sees that as his job. He seems more like a, a feature than the villain, I suppose. Whereas Skinner's Chef Skinner's sort of active trying to mess with Remy and yeah. Greeny. I, I, I like him vi- a lot less because I feel like he is um, what you would call simple evil. Yeah, he's, he's not evil, evil, evil without. He's not a dark evil without explanation, which to me is never. Well, he's not got. He's not not got an explanation. He wants to take control of the business because he's a sous chef that who gets control of um, the restaurant if if um, a her doesn't appear. Mm. Well, then a her does appear. So then he feels but, he's got to spoil it. To catch he's, he's, he's pantomime though. Whether yeah. it's whether it's the performance, whether it's the script or whatever, or, or whether it's the fact that he's painted as yeah. this little kind of goblin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he, he is a pantomime villain, so he's less interesting. Yeah, him. what is frustrating is that this film is so much about a passion and a love for food, and it's got that running all the way through it. It's one of the things I absolutely love about this film. But then you're wondering, how on earth did a chef get so esteemed and sort of part? Well, Chef Gusteau is portrayed somewhat like um, part of Remy's imagination as a ghost. But also somewhat as a godlike figure that's looking over the story. Would never make the wrong decision. Would never make the wrong decision. And yeah. He, yeah. He lo- he's the moral, the upstanding moral point of the film. And then you've got to wonder, how on earth was his um, second in command? Maybe he was just betrayed in a way. Like Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. After Gusteau died, Skinner just capitalised on that and became an asshat. Yeah, possibly. A yeah. large asshat. It just would have been more interesting <laughs> no. if, you, if they made Skinner's... Um, maybe passion for food a little bit more clear because he, he's, it's just not there. Yeah. He's, he's very much a villain for convenience. Even a comment about how, like, oh, Skinner, you used to be about the cooking, what's gone wrong kind of thing would have just really established a bit more backstory for him. Yeah, do, they, do they establish how long ago Gusto died? Is it very recent? It's got to be within know. two years uh, because of the will. I was going to say, yeah. if, if, cause I was gonna say, if this had been a while after And Remy doesn't He might have changed either. since that had happened. Yeah. So. I love the thing about, uh, how come you didn't tell me this? 
I'm a figment of your imagination. You didn't know, so I didn't know. <laughs> I like that they keep that up. That's so That's refreshing. Great. Does anyone yeah. remember the scene where the, you know, he does the takeaway meals with Gusto's different... That's uh, big, that's that's a big looking chicken. Yeah, so Remy's having... In fact, it's a corn dog, which is a dog literally wrapped in corn. Yeah, yeah so I've got written here, um, da, 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 when Remy's having that moral dilemma, and it's all the different Gustos with all the different accents, and they're sort of... I think they're playing devil's advocate also with him. Uh, and that's when he grabs the papers and runs. Mm. Yeah. And I just brilliant. love that. I loved how they brought this character, which, to uh, jump off your point, Jake, we don't actually ever see the real Gusto, except for that little speech at the beginning. Yeah. We only see what Remy's made up for himself, yeah, and he believes that fair. Gusto yeah. is this godly creature. And... So Gusto but could have been... He, that did not that does make sense, because from Remy's perspective, his he passion for cooking comes from Chef Gusto, and he's read Gusto's book and everything he knows about watched cooking from watching that TV show, where obviously Gusto's going to be portrayed as this magical chef guy because it's TV. Like, and it's Remy's mean? Like, projection what, Yeah. That is an extremely interesting point. I haven't thought about that at all. Maybe he wasn't a nice guy at all. Maybe um, mm. Yeah. Um, speaking, just you mentioned Disney there. Um, I feel like it's a nice point to kind of talk about <laughs> the film generally. Um, I feel like one thing I absolutely adored about this film from front to back, start to finish, beginning to end, all of that, top to toe, head to toe, is alpha to omega. Not just the animation, because the animation is just like leagues ahead of cars already. Oh yeah. But it's the way, I think this is the closest that Pixar ever got in 3D animation to that. I think this is something I was discussing with Mel after we watched this on Sunday. It is like the closest that Pixar ever got to that kind of aesthetic and stylization of animation and the general feeling of like Renaissance 2D animated Mm. Disney. The whole Mm. thing is shot but it just it reminded me of VHS copies that I had of like 101 Dalmatians or you know that that kind of era of Disney animation because everything in this film is either lit by candlelight or has this like really low wattage yellow light mm. yeah yeah and there's a yeah. really gorgeous scene right at the end where La Ratatouille is open for business and all of the rats are eating at the table. The lighting oh, yeah. in that scene is incredible because the sense of magic magic so and much and red and like green and, and all the flickering dark flickering and movement of the light. Oh, yeah, well, all yeah. the darker colours really show through, and that was something that was so rich about those VHS copies of two D animated Disney films that like you run till they break. Yeah, and you watch them at Christmas, and there's something warm about them, and there's something like you're indoors while it's snowing outside and there's something about that i mean and it was kind of like how when we were talking about the incredibles we realized that they it was nice that they went for the spy aesthetic in the film rather than the superhero aesthetic and in this one yes okay you've got the kind of glorious shots of france like the cobbled streets the way the buildings are bricked up and the way everything's built and like it's like really steep buildings but really narrow alleyways and stuff like that but it, it kind of struck me a little bit like kind of 30s 40s new york as well yeah. which is another kind mm. of renaissance but disney that, kind of well, thing that they go for i, I think like and you're totally right about this whole animation online thing but i think it's because the film is about paris that the film yes. and animation is like that yeah i mean one because new york is modeled so highly on paris when it comes to mm-hmm. how it was built anyway and how it's constructed so i can see where you collate those two anyway but like any time that Paris is portrayed in a film, it's always at night because Paris always looks so much <laughs> yeah. better at night. This film is almost entirely 
set in the night. The only time it's ever set in the day is chase in the, scene. The, chase the chase scene in the morning when he makes an omelette for um, <laughs> think what's his face for um, Linguini. But when the iPhone's yeah. hours in the back is so and when you're in the chef's kitchen, so you don't even know it's daytime anyway. That, yeah. that shot when. Remy realizes he's in Paris, and you follow him all oh, the way up. Oh, I, he yeah, stops, and, it's and just, then the shot, the camera lifts above him, and you just get that sea yeah, of I, light with the Eiffel Tower about three quarters of the way across the I screen. Say that, I, I, I do know that people from Paris hate stuff like that because yeah. a lot of the buildings in Paris are all the same height. So you can never see the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's a well-known thing I, that geometrically you can almost never but, see the no, Eiffel Tower. I, I've got a little anecdote <laughs> with that. There was an architect in Paris just after the Eiffel Tower was built who had lunch in the restaurant in the Eiffel Tower every single day because he hated it so much and it was the only place he couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to that shot, Remy is on top of a roof. No, I know. Yeah. I am just yeah. saying. Yeah. I, I, I want to Obviously, you get so, artistic. So obviously. I want to add something to that, though. You said, Rob, about, um, about the VHS tapes you just watch and watch and watch. For me, Aladdin, Lion King. The Very different. Right yeah, yeah. in the middle of the Renaissance, though, I think, weren't they? No, they were Golden Era, I think. The shots of Paris, and they use it maybe two or three times where you pan up and it, it's like close in and suddenly reveals the whole landscape, like you said. Brilliant. I think in Aladdin, there's the first time you come over the sand dunes, yeah. you see Agrabah in the background, like really deep in the canvas. Brilliant. Aladdin revealing uh, the palace from his own home pulls the sheet aside. Mm. Just same thing. And also the circle of life. Obviously, the opening bit where you're panning across the savannah and then suddenly there's Pride Rock. Just animation but that it, makes you oh, want well, to I cry. I don't know what it reminded I, me of specifically, but there's just this scene I had in my head where like, a Disney film, 2D animated, opens up and it fades in from black and it's a detached house, an old style detached house with snow falling in front and that's all you can see apart from the house. There's like a fire going through the window and there's like a choral soundtrack or something like that. I don't know if that's actually... Lady in the Tramp? It could be. I'm not on one that I don't know if it reminds me well, of anything well, specifically. That was the kind of image I had in yeah. my head when I was watching this film because that it's just, it's that it's all because of that fire. I think it might be Pinocchio. I think it might be Pinocchio. Mm. I think kind of though. Me, I, I yeah, don't know if I'm thinking of anything specific. Which is also set in France. Yeah. No, I just want to throw this in as well before we completely lose the the Paris being beautiful thing. Uh, I mentioned it in the intro that the four of us actually went to Paris to go yeah, to Disneyland yeah. last Christmas and it really did take me back to walking through the streets like at it, night yeah. and like that soft glow. What is it about Paris in nighttime? It's I know, so it's beautiful. Well, I'm just going to say speaking of the Renaissance, let's not forget there are two films in the Renaissance set in Paris that there's, well, I'm not sure about Beauty and the Beast, it's set in France, Notre-Dame. but Hunchback and Notre Dame as well. And yeah, to me, I don't know what, how it is that they capture France and they capture that. Paris. But I can just totally believe that this is the same place yeah. the whole time. And the, the real Paris, as Mel says, that we visited, again, I can totally believe yeah. that's the same place. Also, it almost felt like you'd already been there. Like, yeah. I'd been there as a kid and I didn't yeah. remember it, but when we got there walking through, it's like, oh. Yeah. It will be etched in my memory forever, walking around the corner and seeing Notre Dame and you two bursting it's into just song. Like, oh, it, it that just, was a bonding moment. That was wonderful. I agree with you. It felt like we'd already been there because yeah. these films capture that sense of place so well. There's uh, just so much richness and detail to it. I knew all the words, so that was great. <laughs> I understand what you mean, but like, 
I feel slightly different. Like, I, I feel like every time Paris is portrayed in the media, it's always in this romantic light. So it's always in... You forget that it's dimly, a Dimly lit stuff. Yeah. And it's always dark streets and small cobbles and stuff. And, yeah, Paris is sometimes like that. But most I of the time Paris it's just a city. somewhat lives That's up true. to that. Like, the only I, time it this... didn't was running to the embassy. <laughs> 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 Which we're not going to talk about. But we get a whole podcast episode on that. And yeah. Paris was this really romanticised, beautiful city. I mean, linking back to... I'm sure if we'd been there more than the weekend, we might have been a bit be like... Fair, oh. we were only in Paris at Also, night, no it's litter. It's one... Well, I think it's only England in Europe that has this problem, but no, no God, litter. Yeah. All over the rest of the world. Do you remember, well? Jake, when we walked down that... It, it wasn't quite in the main bit of the city. In the market. We, we were walking down that market street, heading into the city. Honest to God, that was genuinely like something from Beauty and the Beast now. Yeah. When it was all... It was... We had that soft glow. There was yeah, a baker with his tray like always. <laughs> there is, but... Yeah. I mean, Same old Brendan Rolls to sell. I'm thinking how much of that is because of how much we're told Paris is a romantic city. It could be, well, yeah. There's definitely some rose glasses there, but it's... I love that it captures that. And like... to really rewind back to you think it's got that soft glow that renaissance and it's mm. just it makes you happy to watch like you've you've got a little glow in your belly oh yeah i mean the, the I other mean, food and romantic glow it's great with that that's one part of the magic of the film i think the other part which you know jake is dying to talk about is the food oh yes <laughs> <laughs> this whole film is just before um it's a film uh, food isn't it <laughs> well i mean before the um before we watched it I was kind of, but my, I mean, Ross doesn't know, you four all know, but Ross doesn't know that my favourite scene in any Pixar film is the scene in Toy Story 2 where Woody is put back together. Absolutely. And you kind of told me, because I hadn't seen, uh, Ross again, I hadn't seen, I mentioned in the intro, I haven't seen this film that much. And you were all telling me that, like, the the bits where meals and food is put together, it's oh. kind of like that sequence. Yeah, I love all it. All over again, but with Remy dodging from one side of a pan to the other, throwing ingredients in there, I chucking them in there, dropping them in there. I like just really love it. The first soup-making scene was like a ballet where he flies over yeah. the soup, dropping you the You almost feel like you can smell it. And the yeah. music's fantastic yeah. for that bit as well. I, I was desperate to eat that mushroom. Oh, right at the I start, know. the mushroom with the cheese, and he wanted some saffron for it, and then it was all lightning flavored. I wanted to eat that so much. I'm sorry, there's a thing on my notes that I didn't think I was going to get to bring up. I'm so excited about my notes because it's been five days. You watched it this morning, but um, yeah, can we just talk about the fact that Remy makes a rotisserie out of a TV antenna? Yes. <laughs> just appreciate That's that so for a second. Don't try that at home, kids. No, but the... well, yeah, no, you will get hit by lightning. Yeah, so, yeah. but it just. I mean, no wonder that old woman was ticked off. He just broke her TV. Good point. <laughs> yeah. But that was yeah. just and when uh, it got struck by the lightning and then inflated as if it had been hit by lightning. Uh, lightning? Mm. Oh, it was just... And you felt like you could smell the burning. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So good. I feel much shocked. They do, like, they, do like, they do like steam lines and stuff, don't they? Yeah. The oh, stuff. and the tasting thing. Like when he combines yeah. the cheese with the grape and, and the different flavors. Yeah. Yeah. All the colors like the synesthesia. It's, it's yeah. very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. animation. It's, it kind of reminds me of... It's a condition that some people have and others don't. Synesthesia. <gasps> uh, or chromesthesia or something like that, where yeah. they hear music. They visualize yeah. music as colors. Yeah. Um, there's an artist I follow. Oh, is it, have you seen Fantasia? They do a sequence about this yeah. in Fantasia. Mm. The, 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 in Dumbo as well, the dancing elephants. Yeah. And it's very, very similar where like he imagines food 
as swirly patterns. Well, I mean, to be fair, I don't think that's so much Remy as it is the limitations of not being able to taste what's happening on TV. Yeah, so they have the to way visualize it. Helps. Oh, it really helps. Yeah. I think there was a there was a composer uh, who had synesthesia, and apparently the first time he got in front of uh, an orchestra, he was yelling at them to play bluer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I nicked this from QI, but apparently, yeah, he was yelling bluer, bluer. And, the, and nobody in the orchestra knew what the heck he was talking yeah, about, and they um, had to get him to explain it in sound words. He's, he's been um, he's been kind of he's been kind of quiet for a few years, but um, there was an artist I followed about five years ago called Quez, who mm-hmm. uh, he actually turned up on Loyal Karma's album from last year. Um, but he he is someone with this condition, and um, he did an album called Ilp, which is just I L P, and there were some really nice songs on that that you could really tell when he was in a way on the piano and stuff you could kind of see how he comes up with this and how he moves it around and... mm. but yeah no those sequences are gorgeous they actually they remind me of I know it's coming up next but it reminded me of the dance scene in Wally in oh, space I haven't seen oh, Wally yeah. in so many years the, just the little yeah. kind of like the kind of sand effects like the, the fire, sand the fire extinguisher. yeah the fire yeah. extinguisher in uh, Wally but kind of similar testing grounds for it here yeah particle effect type stuff yes exactly particle yeah. effect stuff that is exactly it yeah and in fact actually yeah. to, to jump back to like the deep uh landscapey shots treasure planet had some lovely ones of you those. really do want to talk about i treasure do planet. i love this film <laughs> but it has some lovely particle effects as well like the way the ship's trails uh, go and like the comets and stuff mm. uh, that you see um in that so they were obviously practicing their particle effects. And I think we've kind of come to the consensus over the films that we've done so far that Pixar are at their best and most fun when they treat the frame completely as a playground. Yeah, um, yeah totally. And Absolutely. there's loads of stuff in this film where they basically just kind of sit back for 30 to 45 seconds and just watch us make this relatively mundane activity well, the most fun but you are ever going to have. But it's not just that because they stake everything on it because this film would not work at all on any level if the food looked anything less than delicious. Yeah, you it, have it, to. That is that, that, there is a whole level, substance of the film. There is something about this film, the way that it looks, that it just it constantly has this kind of air of immense detail. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Like, I think this is why I really get into the way they make Paris look, every little bit has been kind of like, just kind of chiseled away or like they've just kind of fine-tuned an edge. They've brought, they've made the, the gaps between cobbles in the streets. They've just made it that little bit darker and muddier to make it a bit grittier. They've, they've applied stone effects, just that little bit more. They've just made that splash a little bit more delicate of like a mushroom and a bit of soup. Or you know, the steam rising from My favourite example of that. There's just so much of that. Yeah. And it's so My favourite example of yeah. that is um, the ratatouille he makes at the end. Oh, which, like, yeah. There's a sheen on it from the sauce, and you've got a little slices of vegetables, yeah. and you're watching him make it, and then he puts it together in the end, and it looks so good. You can literally taste the yeah. yeah. But so again, it's because it has to, because yeah, that it, is what sells the Yeah, if points. the food doesn't look delicious, yeah. you don't buy Remy as a capable chef. So yeah. then there's no film. But it's like... It's it's so interesting how they managed to put so much detail into what I think is probably one of the most stylized films in mm. terms of animation that oh, we have. Yeah, and yeah. maybe with the exception yeah. of The Incredibles, which has, um, again, that spy aesthetic. And um, the detail's not quite there with The Incredibles in the same way that it is with Ratatouille. But 
it's so strange that this is like one of the most beautifully animated films and one of the most detailed detailed films, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most cartoonish yeah. and most stylized yeah. ones. I, I will always go for well chosen art style over sheer graphical capability. Oh, it's that time. because we could Every sit time. here for hours and just say, I mean, it's basically like you know. There are forests are made up of trees. A Pixar, a Pixar film looks good, like you know. But there's a there's an element of personality that comes through in the animation that it doesn't just look good. It makes you the anime the way it looks actually makes you experience and feel things yeah. completely differently. And it doesn't I mean, have to be photorealistic so, for that. It just no, has exactly. To it's just it. and it's so deliberate and it's just so like you say the, the attention to detail in the way this film looks it goes beyond. The way that it looks and it becomes more about the way that it makes you feel. Yes. Oh, like, as someone who absolutely. has a difficult, I mean, not to go too far into this, but as someone who has a difficult time with food all of the time because of various issues that I have, um, this film, I wasn't dreading watching it, but I realised that like there are experiences with this film that I... Find it more difficult to relate to. Yeah, find it very difficult to relate to because... Um, I was going to ask you about this. Uh, a ratatouille. Uh, anything that's cooked in this film, I probably couldn't eat. So, like, it, it, it was weird because I felt like there was going to be an element of disconnect, but, like, I really bought into it. Like, really bought into it. And the more that I compared it and realised that they were doing, in this film, their own version of the scene where Woody is put back together... I realised that what they were doing was spending minute here, minute there, doing just... They were basically just going, right, let's have a scene where there's no talking, we'll do some really pretty music, we'll make it look great, and we'll show that Remy's a very talented chef. There are scenes in this film, the bit where Remy and Linguini are learning how to work together, and the way that they sync up the movements with the way the food is falling. There's a, a particular cut where... Remy moves his arm in a particular direction and then the pancake just kind of flops. And there's, it's, there are so many little moments like that and where he's like chopping things up as Remy's in his hair going from the right-hand side of his yeah, head to the left-hand side. That's so satisfying watching that. Isn't and, it? oh, it's very, very the good. The sloppy red wine when he's pouring the red wine and it's spilling everywhere. I, everything about My favourite yeah. one of those is where he, Remy's moving his hand with a fistful of Linguini's hair in the correct circular chopping yeah. motion. Yeah. And you yeah. kind of, I can't remember if you zoom into that or out from that, but you certainly don't see it initially and then you do see it. like, And it shows Linguini doing it in just the same way. And it's, I it's think what they do is that like you, 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 see, you see him doing it, but you hear the sound of the knife yeah. chopping on the chopping board and happened? all yeah. you see is Remy doing that. So you just know, if your yeah. brain fills in the missing piece of it. Yeah. That's Which lovely. is just lovely. It's lovely how they do And that. it's really satisfying because you've just contrasted that with them having a disastrous time doing all the herb movements. Yeah. So suddenly he whips out an onion and a knife and he's got to do it really <laughs> carefully, really, because yeah. you know otherwise he's going to get his fingers yeah. chopped off. Yeah. And, um, and just everything about how the film looks, like you just said, is amazing. And it's not just about the terms of animation, but you can feel how much care that everyone, including the animators, put into this film like you can feel the love for the yeah. whole thing oh, in yeah. terms of how it looks yeah um, and the camera work in particular as well is like my my favorite scene in the whole film not to spoil what's supposed to do at the end is where remy's coming from the sewers up into paris and he's running we through the saying walls. That shot. yeah yeah and he's he, he's going into different people's houses and he's um he's there's that couple that he runs past who oh um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> very gone, and then you see them again and the, the kissing and the making up and um don't forget doug 
Yeah, and you see the dogs, dogs there. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, right. There's a, so when you're going through the streets, there's the dog barking the shadow. Obviously, you guys are doing all... Uh, Easter egg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. On, yeah. Oh, that just makes me really happy. And it's just the combination of the animation, the way that the camera moves is just so fluid throughout this whole film. Like, the, the it's, again, we say this with every Pixar film, but they don't just... They don't make an animation and then... Um, th- okay, that looks good. Let's do that next time. It might... Pixar don't so much make an animated film as you do make an animated world and then stick a camera in it and have the camera move around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. It's, Perfect. And this film is such a good way of showing that. Like, you've got that scene of him running through and um, the you can so tell why the Ratatouille ride is based yes. on, on that chase scene in the kitchen yeah. where oh, he's like... Can we just talk about that ride for another five minutes? Oh, my God. Disney, I think. Yes. The one that yeah. we, so we ran it and queued up. Yeah. It feels like a level of a it video could be, game. It, it might. Be, it, be, it, be, it was a is video it? game. And he's yeah. jumping, is it any good? He's ah, jumping through play. all these hazards, and the camera is following him so well, and it's so smooth, and the whole thing looks so cool. I, and the music, again, is amazing. Yeah. And it's and just really ride, choppy, You but, are yeah. effectively one of the rats, as if there was... So if you took that start film, but it was a swarm of rats, not just Remy, and you got, like, up to ten carriage of them, it was? Yeah. Like, going through this really immersive 3D, and I can't see 3D films. I obviously have eyesight issues which you guys don't know because I don't can't see me but um, I can't see out of my left eye and this is probably one of the first like 3D 4D experience rides that I've actually been able to experience properly and I think oh. it's because they had all the different screens so it wasn't reliant on one 3D screen and you know moving around in a car I just really cherish that oh that's lovely no, no that's, that's lovely. great but it's, it, it so makes sense that a ride is based on the whole sequence yes because even when you're just watching the scene it almost feels like you're on the ride because it's so visceral. You kind of feel yourself in the seat like... Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think I said, didn't I? I was just thrown right back into it when that yeah. scene came on. And what yeah. you were saying about putting a camera... like They create a world and put a camera in it. I think I've seen in a documentary of how they make these things that they literally generate the entire kitchen as a 3D model. And you mm. and they can show you what the scene looks like. And they show you the scene of Remy running around the oh, So that is literally what they from do. From yeah. above. Bird's eye view. And it's like, there goes Remy, there goes Remy. And then they say, now, let's show you where the camera goes for the film. And they, like, drag down through it. And they can, like, fully 3D move through this world on their screens. That so that's why Pixar go. films always feel like worlds with cameras in them. Yeah, exactly. they are literally and building they, worlds they can, with cameras yeah, in them. They create, because obviously they're going to use that kitchen in lots of different angles, in lots of different ways. Like, it's, like, you know, a sitcom has a fixed angle, so you can't move because they've only built three walls. Yeah. Mm. Whereas this, they render the entire thing from every angle conceivable, including shrinking your camera and moving it through things that you can't yeah, normally like put it in an oven and turning the oven on. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that like, some live-action films have gone some way towards this. Like there's a in the Raid Two, for instance, they move the camera through a car, and there's like four cameramen, and they take the car off a bike and carry it through a car, pass it to another guy, and take it out the other window of the car, and it's lovely. Uh, but in Pixar, you can do that in an animated film. You can do that all the time. You know, and just, yet it never feels choppy or un, or messy or anything like that. It's just so well done. Yeah, I mean, we've covered and a lot of ground. A lot of well, yeah, can I talk about the music? Yeah, my yes. we- weekly shout out to Michael Giacchino. I say weekly because he does most of these films from this <laughs> now. He's just amazing. Yeah. Love you, Michael. He sounds so French in this film. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
And uh, all what you have to we... do is put some accordions on it. <laughs> you sound well, it was really funny because before before we started recording this, you were playing Married Life from Up, but with an accordion sound on your keyboard. And yeah. me and, and, me and Jake like turned to each other. It was like, this is like Ratatouille. What's going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah. The thing is, right, if, if you want to get across, I mean, it sounds like I'm being a bit, you know, um, dodgy here, but I'm not. But if you want to get across a nationality, you want to get across a culture, instrumentation is everything. Mm. And Michael yeah. Cicino is so, so good at instrumentation. So anyway, yeah. Uh, is it, I mean, we've got, as I said, we've covered a lot of ground. Is, is there anything we haven't covered that anyone else I wants to mention? Now you've got your notes. Two points from my notes that yeah. I've done incredibly well because I've been jumping around them. But my first one, which is just a bit of a random thought, when we started watching the film, we had that lovely screenshot start where he's jumping through the window, and then we cut back through to his family. Yeah. And we're introduced to Remy, our main character, who yes. surprisingly no one picked. And... I have, I have. I have oh, okay. <laughs> but you picked Ego. No, I didn't. Oh, I we didn't, just talked about I just it. Okay. Diego, but Remy I is my favourite. Okay. But um, so we have that, and then we're introduced with brother. Emil. Emil. I like I the fact he's called A Meal. The ah, that they're always called. Oh, sod off. I didn't even notice that. Oh, that is, oh that's just made me angry. Oh, really? Yeah, I liked it. Oh, no, I, I, like, I do like it. Like a really bad like, pun, you love it, but you hate it's it. It's oh, annoyingly clever. Ego. I knew I had to bring up Emil that's as annoying. a character. Yeah, that's great. Anyway, Mel. But continue. yeah, and then we meet his dad, if anyone knows the name, bonus points, I don't. Oh, I think he's I think just, he's called, just called, dad. called Dad. But yeah. he's the leader of the clan, right? So stay with me. Does that make Remy like a... A Pixar oh, he's a Disney prince. Remy's <laughs> <laughs> a Disney prince. That's literally what's in my notes. Yes. He's a Disney prince. So is Remy one of the Disney princes? Hang Does on. that mean he's going on a BuzzFeed list somewhere as one of the princes you can get Hang as your on. like Valentine's? In order to, I think obviously language. Ah, uh, we've only worked out Disney prince, like, and obviously oh, language barrier wise you might not necessarily call them a prince. So I would always say the child of a hereditary monarch. Fulfills the the role, right? And, uh, so, but, yeah, I'm just Moana, curious on your views. Moana is the daughter of the chief, but she's the next in line, so she's a Disney princess because even because he's king and everything, but name. So yes. it's you're the child of a hereditary leader. So the question is, is his dad the chief, and is Remy next in line? I neither know nor care. Okay. But, <laughs> I'm just curious on the concept. But, but I'm happy to accept <laughs> Remy as a Disney prince. And yeah, he will probably now appear on those BuzzFeed quizzes that now get more. <laughs> yeah. I did one once, which was... Who um, which, No, I did one once, which was um, pick um, which Disney Dilf is best suited to you. And I got Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to explore that, Andy? No, fair enough. But yeah. So, anyway, maybe this, someone on a marine rat. This rule does also mean that Loki and Thor are both Disney princesses, ah, and Disney Leia... Princesses! Disney, Disney princes. And Disney. Leia is a Disney princess. Yeah, Disney. They're not Disney. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Rob, Jake, yeah. on the Disney prince. Any, do you agree? Being a Disney yeah, that's Disney nice, because it gives us an excuse to talk about Remy, because he's essentially the main character, we haven't really discussed him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's Andy's yeah. favourite, so we can talk about that. Well, yeah, I, 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 go on, Rob, you can say. I, I, well, I was really surprised to learn that he was voiced by Pat Oswalt. I don't know who that is. Me neither. Pat Oswalt is someone who I became aware of, um, I mean, it's kind of bad, really, that his, the first role I ever saw in him was as a teacher at the very, very beginning of 22 Jump Street. And then what? he's appeared in other things, like as a voice actor. Like he's Pinky the Penguin in Bojack Horseman. He's also Neil McBeal the Navy Seal in Bojack Horseman. Oh, and he's in, he's in a few other things as well. And he's kind of popped up in you know he's popped up in shows that I like because if you're into like 
American TV comedies, he will have appeared in an episode at one time or another. Has he been in Simpsons? I may have been a voice actor in like season twenty three or something. Oh, right. I, I wouldn't be very surprised. Specific. I wouldn't be surprised. It just it, it'll just turn up in an episode of something. We he's went, currently starring across. Oh, he's from, a stand up comedian. Yeah, and he's his wife died about three or four years ago, and it was really sad and tragic, and like you know, and he dealt the way that he covered it on his Twitter page, in blogs and stuff like that. He was really kind of honest and frank about what grief does to a person and stuff. He's currently starring across from Glenn Howerton in a in a TV show called AP Bio. And, like, so, at this stage, he would have been in his late 30s. And you can just... There's a slight vocal fry that's present in his voice now that isn't present in Yeah, I, I know Patton Oswalt as, uh, as an actor, and I didn't recognise his voice even slightly. Yeah, no, it was like... I didn't, I didn't realise it was Owen Wilson voicing Lightning McQueen. Can I just, it's yeah. just... He is in The Simpsons. He plays... He is in The Simpsons. Um, in 2012, he plays a T-Rex. <laughs> and in 2017, 2017, he plays Bart's Guilt... <laughs> wow, cool. okay. So wait, hang on a minute. 2012, that would have been season 23? Oh, shut up. You already knew. <laughs> I didn't. I, 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 haven't, I haven't read anything about an episode of The Simpsons also, since like season 18. He's also in Parks and Recreation, if you've ever seen that. I haven't, but I, it is on my list. Because again, Amy Perla, Aziz Ansari, they all... Is that oh, all he's in Modern Family. Is he? Oh, yeah. I love Modern Family. Oh, and he's yeah. in Rick and Morty. He plays Beta 7. Oh, oh yeah, the um, the guy who was in love with Unity. And he's in Arch. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, no, no. Yeah, the the other hive mind. The yes. other hive mind. The friend hive mind. But, you know, I yeah. think he adds a lot to Remy because there's a, there might not be a lot of vocal fry in his voice anymore, but there is an element of desperation in his voice, and I think Remy is constantly having to fight against something. Yeah. And I think that's Remy's role in this film. He is the naturally talented person that has obstacles in his way that Brad Bird tries to put in front of him. You know, like about that, that he's not he's he's never shy or like unconfident in his abilities. Well, he is very briefly towards the, the end when he's fallen out of the wind. But I really like that he's always right from the start. He's quite sort of blunt and self assured and confident, yeah. and you feel like you've got a safe pair of hands with Remy. And I feel like that's why maybe a slightly older voice suits him because I I, just, I feel like it's it's quite refreshing that he's not this kind of. Oh, you know, coming of age story of someone yeah. finding themselves. It, he's it's quite sort of confident from the story, start, and I like age, that. Yeah. He's just figuring what he wants to do out. I'm a big fan of the Pixar timeline theory. I'm a big fan of movie oh, yes. and TV theories in general. So, have you guys heard of the Ratatouille theory? The Ratatouille. Theory? I don't know how Ratatouille fits into the Pixar. Not theory, not with no. the timeline. That's a complete. What's podcast it called? The that Pixar theory. It's just called the Pixar. It's theory. the Pixar theory that puts yeah. everything in the time, but it's not that. But it is a theory about Ratatouille. Okay, go on, go on. So there's a theory. That goes so ego's this big time food critic, right? He doesn't like anything anybody makes, like these renowned trained chefs who arguably are very good at what they do. He doesn't like it. So why does he like what ratatouille uh, what the ratatouille that Remy makes? That's because he learned how to make it watching Ego's mother. And Ego's mother is the Ego's mother is the woman. old woman <gasps> yeah. where Remy and his family live. Because the kitchen layout... The kitchen is layout's is the same. Is this a theory? Or is this, this is a theory. It's it a genuine theory. When Ego eats a ratatouille... He's immediately transported back home and we see his like yeah. childhood home and it's in the countryside. Check. Elderly woman without other... Well, not elderly, but older woman. There's no woman that's like the age woman of who, Anton Ego's mum. Yes, who yeah. would be Anton Ego's mum. Uh, the kitchen layout's the same, like Rob said... And it's just, it's very odd that it suddenly takes him back to that specifically. And the reason that he was able to make that and make him think of, even says that it reminds him 
um, of home cooking or something. I yeah. can't remember. It wasn't just a ratatouille, it was his mum's ratatouille. It took him back to his yeah, mum's ratatouille. And I'm very happy well, I like that, that because that, that wraps it, it all, wraps it all up. Yeah. Why he likes it so much, why he was so accepting. Like, bear in mind, if you were an average person in a restaurant and you wanted to meet the chef, someone brings out a rat, I don't care how good that food was, you're going to be a little freaked out. Yeah. But he was very calm and like, oh, mm. okay. But yeah, I like the fact that they tied it in. Maybe into... you put a sedative in the rat too. I mean, that yeah. we didn't see the oh, whole. He does have to wait for all the co- other customers. He's to probably very he drunk. Sure. So yeah. he's drunk on that wine. He is very drunk. Yeah, but he's also French. So I think you actually do see the bottles. Anyway. I think he's up to like three bottles by the end. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I love that theory. I love the idea that Remy grew up learning from the food critic, renowned mother, how to cook. Yeah, I, I'm happy to accept that. I, and I normally yeah. don't like a coincidence because. But it fits because he's always been, you know, he was near Paris and Gusto is a famous chef that he happened to be aware of. And Ego would go to every restaurant in Paris. So if Remy ends up in any restaurant, he'd run into Ego anyway. So the coincidence isn't too coincidental. I think besides that, I think, I think great magical I, fairy stories yeah. are built on coincidences. And yeah, that nice little bit of, oh... Yeah, I love that. While yeah. we're on the subject of egos anyway, um, one of the most critically acclaimed things about the film is Peter O'Toole's performance as Ego. He it was very good. I've got to say, oh, I do really yeah. agree. I think he's a fantastic voice actor for it. Yes. He to, a lot of gives me chills. Depth in his voice. When he says, um, when he says if I don't, I don't like it, it I don't, I don't swallow. swallow. <laughs> and he says it like so deep, I feel like I can be a pull off my seat. <laughs> like, yeah. well, I'm going to interject early and put my favourite bit of the film in at this point because it relates very nicely to Peter O'Toole's delivery and to Ego as a character. Okay. In many ways, the work... No, no. Um, in, <laughs> and it's that fucking critic monologue. Oh, yeah. It's so, uh, so good. People yeah. who we sit here... We did not create kind of thing. And... As people who sit here and judge art and talk about art, and as also someone who makes art, and Jesus, <laughs> I've been on both yes. sides of. This. Oh God, I've been on both sides of this. I like you know, and it's so. I find it so fascinating as someone who is so interested in critiquing art and understanding it and investigating it, and also as someone who makes music and puts a lot of effort into that and puts it out there to people and stuff. Mm-hmm. To listen to this conversation, analyse both sides of that coin, both sides of that discussion, that battle between what is good art, what is bad art, who says, why do they say, does it matter, why are they anointed, it's, well, I mean, in many ways the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgement. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read, but the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times where a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and defence of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations, new the new needs friends. Uh, the new needs friends. And that's Brad Bird making his point. Um, last night, I experienced something new, an extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me my, to my, my core. core. In, the past, yeah, <laughs> um, in the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusteau's famous motto, anyone can cook. But I realise only now do I truly understand what he meant. 
Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great yeah, artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusto's, who is in fact, oh, who is in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I will be returning to Gusto soon, hungry for, for more. more. That was a delivery yeah. to rival our pizza or two. And that was a fan- it is a fantastic piece of writing. Yeah, good monologue. Yes, great monologue and. And it's, he is literally the narrator of the morale for the story in the end of... Yeah. Yeah. While we're at the very end of the film as well, there was something else I wanted to mention, which I feel quite strongly about in, um, in kids' films, which I, I am thinking of this as a kids' film. I know it's a family film, but it is primarily for kids. Yeah. Which is that they do this nice little bait and switch at the end where, in spite of everything... The health inspector does eventually come back and the restaurant gets shut, shut down. down. Yeah. And I think it's a really lovely little lesson that they put in there that although they don't get the happily ever after happy ending, that's okay because they get something nice anyway. They, yeah, they get the restaurant Gustos is ruined and gets shut down. But that's okay because they found something different. And that happens in a lot of films. It happens in Up where obviously there's no real happy ending there. It happens in, well, not so much in Molly, but it happens in Toy Story 3. Oh, God. It happens. Too soon. It, it happens in Monsters University as well, quite memorably, yeah. um, when we come to that. And I think it's a really important thing to be putting in these films, which is that it's okay not to get the happy ending, that happy endings are sort of what you make of them. And mm. just as a general point about movies, I think it's always commendable to not cave into. Yay, Gusto's is saved, all the happily ever after. To do something a bit more considered and a bit more realistic, I think it's just a big thumbs up yeah, for me. I think doing that pays a lot of service to the morale of the story. Yes. Because, uh, like, you would think that saving Gusto's would be the aim of the story. Because, you know, Gusto was this awesome chef that had this really inspiring motto and was really great. So saving his restaurant is, like, paramount. And given he gets five Michelin stars, that two of which it loses at the start of the film getting them back is like the aim you of the think film. that yeah that's what you think it's going to be about but it's not it's about going through a journey where you learn that um, a great artist can be refined and appear from anyone and that's what you get at the end of the film like Chef Gusto's restaurant is closed but it doesn't matter because the characters have learned their story and yeah. they've, they've had the journey and they've arrived at a better place because of it yeah yeah it's a lot more nuanced than you know, the health inspector not turning up and everybody just accepts that rats are chefs now. Or they kill the chef. The that would be a bad moral. Don't yeah. kill your health inspectors, kids. <laughs> and I must say, as a callback to last series, it's one of the many reasons I love The Last Jedi, because it ends on that kind of note, which is a, it ended really badly, but it's okay. And I just <laughs> love it when films do that. Yeah, it's it's like, like, all right. It's, yeah. it's, it's that... Age-old story, isn't it? That it's not about you where you end up, but it's about the journey that takes yeah. you to where you yeah, end journey, up. Not the yeah. Exactly, and I think Ratatouille is the next. Last Jedi is a great example of that, but I think Ratatouille in terms of Pixar and a lot of Pixar films do it, but I think this film probably does it the best. This, it, it, plus, it's just it's my favorite Pixar journey anyway, so I am going to think that um, it's it's just so good at teaching you what the film is trying to tell you yeah. throughout the journey. Of the film. Yeah, I think it's a very it, it's a very meaningful lesson and it's very easily digestible. Much like food. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Ooh. On that very sour bum note. <laughs> shall, shall, we, shall we do scores? Yeah. Um, I'll start. Go on. Um, obviously I have issues with this film because we've discussed them, most of which are earlier on. But I love this film so much because it's just, 
Um, it's an allegory about art more than anything else. It's not just about food. Um, probably the reason you can relate to it so much despite not being able to eat food is um, so greatly is because it translates so well to everything else. It could be about making music. It could be about painting. It's just about passion. This film is just about a passion for things and generally being optimistic about stuff. And I love that so much. And it looks so good and it feels so good. And yeah, there are issues about it, but no film is perfect anyway. Um, and I think this film, for me and Pixar, is the closest you'll get to making a perfect journey and a perfect model for it. So I will give it five out of five baked potatoes. It's a 10 from Jake. Woo! Well, for me, this used to be one of the ones that, um, as a casual viewer, it kind of got filed into the, all the rest pile. Like for me, you know, the standout, not spoilers here slightly, but for me, the big standouts are Up and Toy Story 2 and 3 and maybe Inside Out as well. Like these are the ones that tower above the rest and then you get some of the weaker ones and there's a whole lot of... Good in know, the middle. A whole lot of ballast in the middle. And Ratatouille is one of the ones that I just didn't really think about that much. But as I think I said at the beginning, this is one of those ones that every time I watch it, I like it more and more. And certainly now, sitting here talking about it, and because I haven't thought about this film very much, you know, and the fact that three of you here, not so much you are, but three of you here are very big fans of this film and have said things to me that I've never thought about with this film before. It's, you know, even now as I'm talking about it, I'm rapidly liking it more and more and more. And I think out of all the films we've watched on this podcast, this is probably the one that surprised me the most in how much it's unexpectedly really, really taking me. A great film can come from anywhere. <laughs> but and usually, Pixar, a massive I've multinational I've, corporation, it's still, with billions of fans. It's it's not it's my favourite. Like I, I, there are certain Pixar films that are just not Up. beatable for me. But this is really, really good, um, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking about it. So for me, I'm going to give it a nine point five, which I really thought this was going to be just a seven or an eight, and I'm giving it a nine point five. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let the side down a bit. Uh, I'm going to go for an 8.0. Still good, though. Um, Still a good score. No, no, but I don't mean it's not the... Uh, I think that it looks wonderful. And I think that the personality comes through individuals. And I think that so much character comes through in the way this film looks. And I love the story. And I was saying before that, like, I am kind of... I don't always agree with the message that Brad Bird tries to put across. But I do like the way he approaches that kind of argument with these allegories and metaphors and stuff. And it's quite funny that you say that this is it kind of works as a, a film that works in the way that it's essentially about passion for art and stuff. And it's kind of strange uh, coincidence that so many scenes in this film remind me of the scene where Woody's put back together. And before that scene in Toy Story 2 where Woody's put back together... Is it the cleaner, his name? Yeah. Puts him back together. He turns to Al and he goes, you can't rush out. <laughs> and I think it's, yeah, I, I mean, that was just a nice little coincidence that worked for me. Talking about it a little bit more, I think I understand the film's message a little bit more now that it's been communicated through the conversations that we've had. But I think the chase scene with the papers dragging a little bit. I, I always forget aware. that last scene. Yeah, I was just a little bit aware point. of it yeah. and, yeah, there's, there's that. And I think that the romance between Colette and Linguini is pretty clumsy at best. It's almost like... It, I, I agree with those points. Like, to me, they don't really matter that much. Like, if I could just have a film that's all about the message, you know, 
that'd be great. But it'd also be, you know, it wouldn't really be a film. It would be more like literally just a piece of art. Just a monologue or something. But yeah, exactly, no, I yeah. think, I mean... They... I always forget that you've got to have a film in it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not that, like, I don't always agree with what Bradford said, but the way he communicates it, you know, fair enough, you know, hands up, it's a very good way of communicating it. I think it reminded me a lot of that kind of, like I was saying, though, that kind of, like, Christmassy red car- red velvet curtains, like, red wine, like, kind of Disney Renaissance kind of stuff that I watched as a kid. And yeah, no, it was, it's a film that I've not seen in a very long time that I barely remembered beyond a couple of scenes. And it was just, I thought it was just solid. It was just solid and, and great, but with problems that will prevent me from adoring it. Head, well, heads and shoulders are both cars. Heads, <laughs> heads and shoulders. And knees and toes. And way <laughs> above. And little rappy. So I guess the best to last. Woo! Have you got your two scores? Uh, oh, you're going to... Do you want to go first? Okay. Uh, well, for me, it, I find it difficult to grade Disney and Pixar because I'm always... I'm grading them on a different curve to other films. Just, well, just grade it as it's, a film. This is the, just, yeah, yeah, just it's the really, It's yeah. kind of difficult because among Pixar films versus among all films is a very different animal. Just I as think. a film. But, Don't compare it to anything yeah, else. Just um, as a film. I will say very much that um, I... It's very nice to be on a podcast where I can just be mostly positive because um, when I'm on my own podcast, I quite find myself whinging. Oh, you should have been here when we were watching Attack of the Clones. Fair enough. Jake gave it a one. Anyway. <laughs> really? Yeah, go on. I give it a zero. But um, uh, it's nice to be able to really talk about how much I love something and not talk about missed opportunities or things I didn't like. But this film, I, I love to give anything a perfect ever but this film gets a nine from me for sure i think i'm gonna quote you mel on this one disney is more than just films uh that's kind of your line stop my line exactly i'm quoting you though i think i said again the trip to paris when we walked in i'm like exactly it's more than just films i i can't give this a perfect score because of the the slightly clunky collect section so i'm giving it a nine i didn't dislike the chase scene uh, in any sense, I loved that. I thought it was just about the right length. But yeah, the Colette romance undermined her character a little bit, so I can't make this perfect. So it's getting a nine from me. Okay. Well, Mel, what's your score on the door? My score on the door for Ratatouille has got to be a ten. Great. <laughs> Jake's so happy. Two tens. So that's a 9.5 guest average. Woo! Yeah. And uh, similar points to Brass, it's a magical film. It's and we talked about it before, it's one of those films that feels like you could kind of reach in and take the food. You could reach in and, you know, stroke Remy and it's got that cosy feeling. And for me, the message of the film is really important. I think that loads of uh, Disney and Pixar films have got a great message, but this film's message is about it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the chances you have. It doesn't matter anything. As long as your heart's in something and you try your hardest, it'll all work out in the end. Even if you don't manage to save the restaurant. Even if you don't <laughs> save the restaurant, you will have your own little ratatouille outside of Paris and you'll all be happy. And I think it's just a beautiful With message. Watching Jake and Mel um, go through this is kind of similar to how I experienced Toy Story 2, which I think is the only perfect score I've given on this entire podcast. I gave that a 10. I think you have Last Jedi ten as well. No, nine point five. Nine point five. Because I do have issues with the Last Jedi, but um, not huge issues, obviously. But you know. <laughs> go, go and listen to the Last Jedi episodes, everybody. Go, um, go. 
Uh, if, you've got a four if, you've got a, if you've got a full afternoon space. Wow, really? Oh, yeah, I'm excited for that. A long time. Not in the car. Um, we, it's just, it's been fun kind of watching Jake and Mel watch this because I watch Toy Story 2 and things get pointed out that get lost to sentimentality. Yeah, I'm totally the same. And like, I remember we were talking about how like Toy Story 2 doesn't quite have the ability that say something like Up has or Wally has to really pull at your heartstrings or even Toy Story 3 to like really drag on your heartstrings and be like, cry now. You know, there's, <laughs> there's not much like that in Toy Story 2 other than uh, When She Loved Me or something like that. <gasps> But, and I was there, and I was sitting, and I was acknowledging it, and I was like, yeah, I definitely agree. And then right at the end, you just think, if I give this less than a 10, every single version of myself that has woken up every day as a human being would be very angry with the version of myself if I didn't just ignore all of those problems <laughs> and give it a perfect score. And in the end, what the reason that you've both given perfect scores is because you have seen this film for what it is, recognised its flaws, but what it means to you means so much more oh, totally. yeah. than anything that you could throw against it. So you've just kind of gone, no, it means too much. It's a 10. And that is yeah, exactly I, what I like, had with Toy I appreciate story. that a lot. Cause I, yeah. I would say that a really good film have, with flaws you can ignore, but a medium film with flaws just make it worse. Like, a good film won't be made worse by flaws, but a medium film yeah. that's just a film with a whole bunch of flaws you can't ignore will drag it into the pit, which is a shame. But I, I think probably the only film I'd ever give a 10 to is probably Return of the King. But mm. like, there are definitely flaws in that film. Yeah, I would hazard to but say... I ignore them. I'd so almost easy. say that having a film so good have flaws in it so often makes the film better because it reminds you that, you know things have flaws in them. And I don't want to say, yeah. like, you know... Like, for example, if we compare this to um, Toy Story 2, for example, which I, I would happily say is probably a better film in terms of its plot and its characters and everything like, you know, and its things like that, but to, and is more of a perfect film in terms of how Pixar makes films. But like you said, to me, that doesn't really matter. I like that this film has flaws in a way. Um, I don't... Be high like is, a good... Exactly. If I'm, this yeah. is the kind of film where, like, say you're out somewhere, maybe you're at work and you realise that it's about 11 o'clock and you felt like shit all morning and you can't really see yourself making it through another six hours, so you, you come home. And you kind of, you make it home about, you know, quarter to 12, 12 o'clock, you make yourself soup and bread and you just kind of sit there and you go, what am I going to do now? Because I have six hours. I've made time, as Jess says in that episode of Peep Show, where he leaves the play two hours early. And you think to yourself, I've made time for myself. What am I going to fill it with before uh, Andy gets home or before Jake gets home or before Noah gets home or whatever? And if you look at the DVD shelf and you go, I'm going to put on Ratatouille, then what the hell, who the hell am I to say that that's not a 10 out of 10 option, if you know what I mean? I mean, even as someone for me who... This is not one of those films that I hold incredibly sentimental to me. But I I totally see that. Because, I mean, the thing is for me, I mean, I'm not making this any kind of subs or anything, but I have quite a big problem with anxiety and I find it quite hard to calm down and chill out about things. But this is one of those films where, as Mel was saying about that whole message of the film, this general sense that things never get too chaotic. Everything 
is normally just quite calm and quite kind of sure of itself. And the general message of the film is that everything will be okay. And even in some that way, yeah. is just expressed in such a simple, profound way. But it's one of those films that, without it being a cheesy, feel-good type thing, just has this effect of making you feel like everything will be alright, of calming you down, of making you feel a bit perkier. And even as someone who doesn't watch that film very often, I really see that, and I think that is, you know, I totally see why this would be a perfect film to put on if you need cheering up, because it mm. really accomplishes it. Yeah, I think a film to cheer up is a good way of describing it, because this is like a sort of film that makes me feel so happy and optimistic after I've watched it. Yeah. yeah. It's the kind of film that I watch, and then after I've watched it, I'm like, I'm really glad I was alive to watch that film. It's an everything's going to be okay film. Yeah. yeah. But that, and, that, and that is like so much more of a compliment than it sounds. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that's a very nice note to end on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope our podcast is the same for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, a big... Huge hand to Mel and Ross. We'll have you back very soon. Yeah, you've soon been for fabulous. Guys. Thank you. Something or other. Yeah, what what film are we going to have you back for? We're going to be back for Good Dinosaur. Oh. I think you're going to be coming back for Brave before. Brave. That, think, yeah. yeah, we're excited to come back for Brave. Considering we both have horse archery experience. Yeah. Oh, right, well, and I will have red I, curly I hair. For you can come back for Dinosaur. That's also, good also, I've really worked as the director of yeah, Brave um, on a film. Less so. excited about that. I will say. No, really, I didn't make that up. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, he has met Mark Andrews. I have met Mark Andrews, the director of Brave, and worked with him on a film. And we couldn't do horse archery with him, and I'm well, very sad. Tune in next time. <laughs> well, you know, I've met two of the panelists, uh, two of the regular panelists on Rebel Chums. Nice. And, uh, and I am one myself. Also, so, you know, we all know celebrities. Also, you know, also you know how you guys were bagging on cars. Oh no. I I, I met the screenwriter and of insulted that. them. <laughs> and I said that I thought Cars Two was terrible. <laughs> and he said that's fine I didn't write that one what did you think of Cars 3 I said I quite liked it he said good because my wife wrote that one <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so if you've enjoyed us gushing about Ratatouille and want to hear us talk more about films that we love probably recommend watching either the two Last Jedi episodes or one of the Toy Story episodes where we all shall gush about films if you're tired of us um, talking about how much we love films and want to see us take shits on films instead then please watch our episode on Attack of the Clones or Cars. Yeah. <laughs> or if you want something entirely different, then please watch Two Geeks, Two Movies. Yeah, if you'd, like, Ross's if you'd like to hear me talk about how great a film is and how bad a film is in one episode, watch the Avengers versus the Justice League episode. Oh, that would be interesting. Very interesting. In which Harry and I, I talk about... I wonder which one's the good one, then. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it up to you guys. I'll leave it in suspense. But yeah, check it out if you like the idea of, check, of that. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having us on. Bye. 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 Bye.